As followers of Jesus, the Messiah, we will labor the rest of our lives to break free of pagan thinking. Say, wait, what? I'm no pagan. I don't bow to idols. I have no temptation to become a polytheist. Perhaps not. But idolatry is such a prevailing orientation in our fallen world, it continues to exert an alluring influence upon each one of us, far more than we may ever recognize. For instance, do you ever think that God is unpredictable? Do you think that from time to time? Do you ever think that if you do good for God, you'll get good from God? What does today's pagan think? Are the gods unpredictable? Absolutely. You can never be quite sure what they're going to do. You're at their mercy. And what does today's pagan think? If you do good, you'll get good? Yes, that's how it works. Please the gods and they'll look favorably upon you. But the one true and living God, let us consider carefully, is predictable. In this sense, in the sense that He always acts for His glory. He always acts in conformity with His character. Our God is always loving. He is always faithful. He is always just. He is always good. He is always holy. He is always true Always. Unlike pagans, we can count on God to be exactly who He reveals Himself to be and to act today in a manner that is consistent with the way that He has always acted in the past. There is growth, there's development, there's a story that's being written, but God's character never changes. We can count on it. Always. So as Christians, we don't do good in order to get good from God. We do good as a response of thankful love to the one who saves us by his sovereign grace alone. Brothers and sisters in Christ, what joy is ours to affirm together that God is relentlessly and zealously for us. He is for you as his child. With steadfast, loyal love, God is always laboring to bless you and to keep you, to sustain you and strengthen you and grow you and draw you into His presence, always. He never stops. Now, it may not feel like it. Perhaps you're in a season where it never feels that way. But here again, how tempted we are to think like the pagans of old or like the neo-pagans of our day and to tap back into those fruitless ways of thinking, those God-dishonoring ways of thought. I must manipulate God. I must try to figure out where He's at. I must get Him on my side. I must do good in order to get good and the like. But trusting God at His Word 
you can know as a genuine follower of Jesus Christ that He is for you, keeping you, caring, growing you in union with Jesus. This is a precious truth. Last week we completed our journey through the book of Numbers, but I'd like to return to chapter 6 today as a concluding word to the series. I think it's appropriate to do so. Embedded in laws regarding the holiness of God's people, we find a blessing which the priests of Israel are to pronounce upon the people of God. We find it here in Numbers chapter 6, verse 22. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. We see here first of all that God commissions the ritual blessing of his people verses 22 and 23 standing as God's representatives standing before the people as their spiritual shepherds the priests of the Aaronic line are called by God to speak a ritual blessing upon the people. As we know the ancient context, probably lifting their hands or putting their palms uh, toward the congregation and blessing them with these words. Bless. It's one of those words you just say and you can't really define it, right? What does bless mean? And it says that they are to bless the congregation. What definition do we fill in there? I think, at least in our setting, my life, I hear the word bless you probably mostly after somebody sneezes. Is that, are you with me on that? I mean, when do we talk this way? Why people say God bless you after someone sneezes, I have no idea why. Uh, Some of you probably do. Don't bother me with the details. I really don't know if I want to know. Why do we... We don't say that when someone burps. Bless you. God bless you. We don't say that when someone stubs their toe. Right? I, I don't know why we do that. But the word bless has a wide range of meanings depending on the context. There are ways in which we bless God. That's obviously different than ways in which He blesses us. At sometimes the word bless in context in Scripture is simply to pray or to speak well of someone, to have well-being, something along those lines. But in context where God bestows His blessing, it means to grant us His favor, His joyful welcome, the fruits of His sweet providence, His protection, and His gracious provision for our well-being. That's why I've used the word already here today, He is for you. To bless you is God to pour out His favor upon you. To say, I am for you. God's blessing is the outpouring of His goodness and fidelity upon the objects of His love. 
So under the terms of the old covenant, God's blessings included, that is, He specifically promised Israel fertility and productivity and societal harmony and communal flourishing and peace with warring nations and the like. We find in Deuteronomy 28 these words, for instance, Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds, and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. I mean, that pretty much covers it all. Going in, coming out, and the dough in your bowl. It will all receive my favor in light of my face and kindness to you. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. That is, come in organized and leave in total disarray. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. I don't know why that's there. But that's James 1. It isn't Deuteronomy 28, but somehow that got pasted there. But let's say it together. It fits pretty well, doesn't it? (laughs) Every good gift is from above, flowing from the Father of lights. We'll consider God's blessing on this side of the cross. We need to think about it a bit differently. But first, in this context, notice here that while God's blessing touches all people to some degree, it is specifically reserved for His chosen people. And their blessing is received in the context of the spiritual ministry of the priests who represented God to them and taught them God's Word. God establishes these priests and He says to them, bless my people. He doesn't set them in place merely to rebuke. There certainly was that aspect of their work at times. But He sets them in place to minister to God's people by saying, God is for you. He loves you. May He bless you. It is the people of God sovereignly chosen by His grace alone who receive His blessing in community. And it's a beautiful thing. Now as verse 24 indicates, this blessing does not come ultimately from the priests. They merely transfer the blessing of God Upon the people. But let's consider the first stanza of the blessing here in verse 24. The Lord bless you and keep you. Why this blessing here at this place in the book of Numbers? We could consider that for some time. But the nation, remember at this point, is at Mount Sinai and there's a harrowing journey before them. In fact, God sovereignly knows that there will be many mishaps along the way. There will be unfaithfulness. There will even be vile sin in Israel's future. He knows this. He knows this is where they're headed. And yet he says, you will put my blessing upon this people. Reminding them time after time that God is for you. He is laboring for your encouragement and growth. She would need that reminder, Israel. Indeed, this call to walk in faith because the Lord blesses, but the Lord also curses. 
And they need to be aware of that and understand that and understand their unique relationship with the Lord. The priests are then to pronounce upon Israel the prospect of this blessing. They're not making it happen. Israel's not buying it and purchasing it. But God bestows it by His grace. And so the prayer, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord, notice again, it's not the priest that can do this. There is a blessing that only God can give. May He do so, the priests are to pronounce. So they stand in a sense between God and His people, and yet they are pointing the people to God themselves. They cannot bless His people. They're not magicians. They're not witch doctors. They simply convey what God has chosen to convey. May He do this. Probably announced after the offerings were sacrificed at the tabernacle upon the people of God. Again, the pagan priests sought to manipulate the gods. Get them to favor the worshipers. And this is why witch doctors get the power that they do. And the pagan priests would gain the authority that they had because it was seen, at least people thought, they could manipulate the gods. They can manipulate the demons. They can get powers outside of our experience to do what we want them to do. Oh, how different this is. The priest simply saying, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Keep you. The Hebrew word speaks of a kind of keeping that watches over someone, that preserves, that aids, that protects them. It's only used in the Hebrew Scriptures of God. Not of one person keeping another person, even in covenantal loyalty. This is a term used only of God toward His people. May He watch over and protect you in the way that only God can. This is God relating to His people this way. May He keep you. May you find yourself in His safe keeping. The second stanza in verse 25, The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Make His face shine upon you. We speak sometimes of a person whose face glows. Perhaps with delight at seeing somebody that they've missed and not seen for some time or might glow in parental love and appreciation, parental pride, we say. For God's face to shine upon us is for God to find pleasure in us. May God find pleasure in you. The mere prospect is stunning. This is epitomized, I think, in the New Testament with the baptism of Jesus. As Jesus follows the Father's will and comes to the place of baptism, what does the Father say? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. His face is shining there upon the Son. He finds deep pleasure in Him. And again, how stunning it is that God can find such pleasure in you and in me. Eric Little in the Chariots of Fire movie was an Olympian runner from Scotland and a missionary in training for China. And in that account, his sister fears that he has turned away 
from God's calling to go to China, and he's allowing his speed as a runner to get in the way, the glory of Scotland and the possibility of Olympic gold, and maybe he's really losing his life for what's far more important. And I think the best line in that movie is Eric Little saying to his sister, putting her at ease, but saying, God has made me for a purpose. He made me for China, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. That's the shining face of God. Here upon the gifts that he gave to Eric, using that for his glory, which he did and won an Olympic gold. But also Eric Little going back to China and dying there in very inglorious circumstances, in captivity of disease. But there too, he felt God's pleasure. Not just with the crowds cheering, but with the hosts of heaven watching what could be called at that point a forgotten man, dying ingloriously in prison. The shining face of God is all that matters. May he shine upon you. May he look upon you with favor. May he be gracious to you. That is to be mercifully inclined toward us. Grace cannot be merited. God's grace is never compensation for anything that we do or anything that we become. Grace is God's extension of loving kindness and His care to those who do not deserve what He gives us. And that's you and that's me. We don't deserve this love. That's where we struggle with pagan thoughts. If I will perform the right way, he'll find pleasure in me. If I become the right person, he'll find pleasure in me. May God be gracious to you, the priest spoke. Atheists seek manipulative back channels to gain power and protection for themselves as well. They may not think of a world filled with many gods that they need to appease. They think of the world filled with just them as God. No God. But they find these back channels to gain power and protection for themselves while they may. But we, by contrast, verse 25, can rest. We know we cannot earn God's grace. We can only welcome it. And welcome it we may. God blesses sinners. Certainly not because they are sinners. Not by ignoring their sin. Remember the rest of this book. Israel fails time after time. She bears many moral scars as she stands before the Lord. But it's this people that God says, I will bless. I will be gracious to them. He blesses sinners not because they're sinners, not by ignoring their sin. He blesses sinners because he chooses to do so for His glory, in expression of His reconciling love, and never by ignoring the consequences of sin. We see that in our songs today. We see that in the orientation that we have on this side of the cross. 
But before coming back to that, this third stanza of blessing, verse 26, reads, The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Lifting up His countenance upon you, not really substantially different from making His face shine upon you, but just in the little nuance of difference that's there. When we see someone we fear, we see someone we despise, we see someone who annoys us, what do we do? Our face naturally drops. We may look a different way, we may drop our head, our eyes may go to half mass. We really don't want to face that person. Our head may drop, our face may droop. That is the opposite of this idea. And imagine this again, child of God, that the Lord would lift up His countenance upon us. That God would look upon us, lifting up His face in joyful recognition, in a sense smiling in reception and loving regard. This is not fantasy. May God place within us the longing to realize this very potential. That His face would be lifted up upon us and that He would give us peace. The Hebrew word translated here in verse 26, give, is actually the word put, place upon. May He place upon you His peace. May He put it on you like a robe or a hat. This peace is that familiar word shalom, peace. It's translated completeness, safety, soundness, welfare, health, prosperity, tranquility, contentment. Very much like the word bless. A wide range of meaning, but all pure good. May that shalom rest upon you. It speaks of the sum total of God's good gifts and His loving favor. Now, you may have caught it, it's not entirely possible in the English, but in the Hebrew text, you may have seen, you may have even caught some of this, the, the intensity that grows. But in the Hebrew text, it's very specific. The first stanza is three words, the second stanza is five words, and the third stanza is seven words moving from 12 syllables to 14 syllables to 16 syllables. It's as if the blessing just crescendos as it works itself out, culminating in this word peace. May God bless you with peace. May shalom rest upon you in His favor upon you. And then verse 27 so shall, you, so, so shall they, these priests, put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. You see the connection, verse 27, with verses 23, verse 22 and 23, how they form, in a sense, bookends around this blessing. The call here reiterated in verse 27. To put, there's that same word in verse 26 translated give in the English text before us. So put peace upon them, like you robe them with peace, but you will then, in this way, put my name upon them. It's kind of a strange way of speaking. But the God who always acts in consistent conformity to His character, His name will, in a sense, be passed upon the Israelites. 
placed upon them. If it were tangible, it would rest on them like a robe. May God place His name upon you. His consistent character, His moral purity, His holiness, His presence with His people, may that rest on you. As we think, last week we looked at the 48 Levitical towns where the Levites were living. And we think of the tabernacle worship and the Aaronic priests that are ministering there. And we consider as God has organized His people around His truth, around His presence at the tabernacle, the priests are always passing this blessing upon them. May God be with you. May He keep you. May He sustain you. May He provide for you. May He protect you. May His presence be the favor with which He faces you and lifts up His countenance upon you. And again, we see that it's God who will do the blessing. The pagan priests collected money. They collected favors in exchange for their supposed power to secure the favor of the gods for you. They had no such power. And the ironic priests are just honest with this. God is honest with this, with his people. They have no such power. The power to bless in this sense belongs to God alone. But the important point here is that he does not bestow his favor on those who impress him or manipulate him. He bestows his favor on the people that he chooses. It completely drains us of all self-promotion and self-dependence. We see, for instance, Isaiah 43, But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. Obviously all figurative speech. But what he's saying is whatever trial you face in this fallen world, the key to all trial is this. I have chosen you. You're mine. You think I'm going to lose you in the water? You think I'm going to forget about you and fail to protect you? You are mine. I've called you by name. I've created you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. It's not who you are in yourself, and it's not what happens to you in this troubled world. It's who I am, and I have placed my sovereign love upon you. That's what matters. So let's ask then, in what sense does God's blessing upon the Israelites apply to us so long removed from that context? We don't have Aaronic priests blessing us this way. We don't gather at the tabernacle. We don't offer sacrifices. And what then does this have to do with us? Well, let's say right up front, we are not participants in the Mosaic Covenant. 
and in its specific blessings in this way. So land promises and promises concerning fields and livestock and the the dough in your kneading bowl and fertility and the like, these are not specific blessings of the covenant with which we participate. And yet, God has blessed Abraham in Genesis 12 with the promise that he would through Abraham bless all nations. And the Apostle Paul picks up on this and really helps us very much. How do we understand the connection between us and these promises of God and the blessing of God? He says to the Galatians in the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all nations be blessed. Genesis 12. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. We receive the blessing of God. We are participants in the blessing of God through faith, as was Abraham, and as we connect to the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is in seed form promised here in Genesis chapter 12. So in our sin, we deserve nothing but God's curse. We deserve His righteous judgment to come down upon us because God says, do this, and we don't. And God says, do not do this, and we do it. And we can fill in the blanks. But we deserve His righteous judgment upon us for our sin. But God's eternal Son took on flesh, fulfilled God's law, which we had broken. And Jesus, bearing God's just curse that should be upon us, dies in the place of sinners. What should have rightly fallen on our shoulders, the Father places upon Christ's head. Jesus came to earth to bear that curse in the place of sinners. And Paul is tracking that way here in Galatians 3. You are blessed along with Abraham. Does that mean God just overlooks our sin? No. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. This is it. God never, ever ignores sin. He will always exact judgment. He can do nothing else. But this is the good news that that curse that was ours was placed on Christ. For it's written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. There's some conjecture in number six. Does the threefold reference to Lord, to Yahweh, mean anything? Perhaps there is there a subtle indication of the triune God. Commentator George Bush claims that the pointing, that is the equivalent of Hebrew vowels, differs in each use of the word Yahweh in this text, and the rabbis debated why that was. We don't need to read anything into the text as such, but we can certainly see the characteristic brushstrokes of our God. 
The Lord bless you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. The Father blessing his people by choosing them unto salvation. The Son shining the life of his grace upon us by dying in our place and rising again for eternal life. The Spirit indwelling us and giving us the peace with God which Jesus' death and resurrection secured. And now participants in a new covenant with God. This law is written upon our hearts. We do not then as born-again believers, give ourselves away to idolatries. Rather, we flourish spiritually in the blessing of God's saving grace. We have been given all spiritual blessing in Him. Ephesians 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Said another way, God says of His people, you are mine. I am for you. I have blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Our blessings in Christ are eternal blessings that overwhelm any trial, any deprivation, any heartache in this waking world. May God grant us the faith to see what we have in Christ. Is this not your battle? This is my battle of faith day by day to recognize what He has done to save us. The blessings that we have in Him that are eternal and secure such that no trial in this life ultimately pulls us away from Him or sends us down these strange paths of trying to manipulate God and get Him to like us. If you're His, you're His. You're His forever. And He will not lose you. Blessed by God's saving grace, we are heirs of the eternal kingdom. And here's where blessing somewhat differs under the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Under the Old Covenant, it's very much about the land and the earth and what God has given to His people very physically. But under the New Covenant, the bent is much more forward. The blessings that we receive, secured in Christ, guide us through this life. But ultimately, we look to the day when the physical will be way more physical than anything Israel could ever understand. And where the spiritual will be revealed for what it truly is as we stand in God's presence. And so Jesus teaches us, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Starting now, that satisfaction is being realized as we walk with God. But in fullness on the last day when we enter His presence and take on His glorified likeness, that blessing will be realized spiritually beyond anything that we can right now grasp. That's where we're headed. And so until then, let us say to one another, as a kingdom of priests. Let us find hope and strength in the trials of life by these words. The Lord bless you 
and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. I wish I'd done it more than I did, but from time to time, with our children growing up, I would tuck them into bed and put my hand upon their forehead and quote these words. Passing the blessing of a father to his children. May God find us passing the blessing of our triune God to one another as mates, to one another as members of the body of Christ. In so many words, I think if you set up camp there by the door on the way out, saying this to everybody, that might be a little weird. But this assembly is blessed this way, week in and week out, as we close our services and speak the triune blessing of God upon His people. But may we learn to speak that blessing to one another, for God has spoken it to us. As New Covenant believers, Christian, if you truly have come to trust Christ as Savior, you've placed your confidence in His death and resurrection for you, you can know that you are His and He is for you. Not because you deserve it. Not because I deserve it. But by His grace alone. And that's why we sing. Lord, confirm these truths to us. I have no question that there is someone here today. There are individuals here today that have heard in their life almost entirely words of accusation and hatred and dismissal. I pray that you would make clear to such individuals that this is not fantasy land, but that they can dare to hope that you love them in Christ. I pray that you draw them to saving faith and trust in Him. I have no doubt that there are individuals here today who feel forgotten, who feel that you have turned away and gotten too busy to pay attention to what they suffer in their trials, who feel very lonely, I pray that you would confirm by faith in their hearts who you are and what you have done for us in Christ. There are those of us who are distracted drawn away by the things of this world, may we here in this place recognize what matters. That we will all one day enter into your presence and I pray that we would be sensing that presence now, growing ever closer to you, realizing that our blessings are secured for eternity in your presence where we are seated by faith with you in the heavenly realms. We long for the day when the faith is sight, and I pray that this 
passage would steer us to that end and give us encouragement. As we seek to bless one another as a congregation today, some of us gathering in homes, may we speak words of encouragement and grace, and may we revel in your favor, which rests upon us in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.